All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on DailyFaceOff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 51 of the DFO Rundown at DailyFaceOff.com. I'm Jason Greger along with uh, Frank Saravalli as we head into August. And uh, we are coming to you live once again from the WoodJerseys.com studio got my Boston Bruins. Frank has his uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, these are awesome. We saw the video last week of the brand new Seattle Kraken one. They've got new teams all the time. These look great. Like, look at Frank's. It's up close. You can see just how intricate it is and uh, all the little designs. They're fantastic. You can get it. It's an NHL uh, product, right? They're licensed with the NHL. So check it out at woodjerseys.com and uh, get yours today. For your favorite team and uh frank wow you're just like vanna white over there on the video just turning it around it's unbelievable yeah, just a solid 175 pounds heavier <laughs> um we're gonna have jordan martinuk uh joining us uh real character guy just signed a three-year contract extension to stay in carolina a lot of people thought he might leave that one kind of came down at the last uh minute and you know we had jordan telling us about it so i look forward to that um, to today, something you don't see very often, well, not uh, earlier this week, I should say, um, was club elected arbitration for two players, Kevin Fiala in uh, Minnesota and Travis Sanheim in Philadelphia. And for any of our listeners who don't know, that means that the player now gets to pick the term. It can either be one or two years. And we assume, Frank, that they'll pick two because that marches them right to free agency. Yeah, and that's the key to keep in mind here. Look, what this club-elected arbitration does is guarantees that the team and player with a restricted free agent will end up with some kind of contract at the end of it. Sometimes these things sort of head into an impasse. The player doesn't necessarily pick uh, or choose arbitration. They're hoping to hammer out a deal. And I think 
you know, especially in the case of Kevin Fiala with the Minnesota wild, um, you know, they've been at an impasse for a while. The sense is that Kevin Fiala is asking for pretty significant money. And I think the Minnesota wild are really cautious with their cap moving forward in the sense that they know they have dead cap space coming with Ryan Suter and Zach Parise. They know that there's really only a certain limit that they can get to with dollars and term. And so Kevin Fiala is coming off a really important season for Minnesota 2020 40 in just 50 games. Um, it was, you know, really a career year for Fiala in a lot of ways, given the shortened schedule. Um, and he's a guy that has, like I said, has been a big part of their team. So how can they find a way to make this work? The, the initial belief is that Fiala was talking somewhere in the $7 million range, maybe even a little bit more than that. Um, and now in this case, the wild have said, look, if, if we can't come to a deal, we'll let an arbitrator decide. And the risk of course, is that, you know, they end up going to uh, a two year term and going through with the arbitration hearing. And that takes Fiala to, to UFA, but in the short term, two years might actually make a lot of sense for the wild, given that that's when they really start to have all their cap trouble with the Parise and Suter contracts. Yeah, it's, I remember we had Mike Russo on the pod uh, a few weeks ago when he mentioned the Fiala contract impasse. And I, I admittedly, I was a little surprised by, uh, you know, 7 million. And, you know, you sure last year he, he was on pace for, you know, a 70 plus point season in, in a full NHL campaign, which is great. But you know that to me to be a $7 million player, usually you, you got to have uh, quite a few years uh, under your belt a big ticket. And I think for club elected arbitration uh, to me showed that because usually the player will take it arbitration because they think they're going to get a higher ticket and uh, that the team's offering. And, and this time I, I think it's the exact opposite. And uh, they're, they're thinking that an arbitrator will maybe come in around five and a half or, or $6 million and then kind of take it from there. But, you know, make no mistake. Fiala is very important to that team moving forward. I, I think they just kind of maybe want a little bit to see more before they lock him up uh, long-term. And, you know, because there's, you know, there's him and Kaprizov, Frank, and, and they're going to have to get good value from them. You know, whatever their contract is, they're going to have to get really good value for that because of the dead cap space from Parise and Suter. It's a must. My, my guess is that a nice blueprint for where Kevin Fiala would like to get to is probably starts with the Pavel Buchnevich contract. That's that he signed in St. Louis four years, 23.2 million. That's a cap hit of 5.8. Buchnevich last year had 20 goals, same number as Fiala and 28 assists. So eight more assists for 48 points in 54 games. So Buchnevich did play four more games, but he comes in at 5.8. The thing is, Fiala has a little bit more of a track record in terms of point production. Um, you know, he ha has already broken 50 points in a season, which Buchnevich hasn't to this point. But that's sort of, my guess, is the starting point. Buchnevich is also a year older, so a starting point in terms of trying to get a deal done or what an arbitrator may be looking at as a recent comp. Yeah, and that's fair. And the other thing, though, is uh, Buchnevich was killing it at uh, at even strength in five on five, right? He was he didn't get a, a ton of uh, you know bonus points on the power play. Although I'm not one to downplay power play points because I, I think you know power play is uh, extremely important. Hey, if you can score on the power play and you can score five on five, that's great. Just because you can score a little bit more on the power play, but then you don't add much. Uh, a five on five or vice versa. It's not great. And I think uh, uh, Buchnevich and uh, I, I think um, it is, uh, Fiala might've had almost twice as many power play points. I think it was like 15 to eight 
uh, give or take. So th that's always part of it, Frank. And so I, I really think that's a fair comparable uh, to look at as far as a, you know, a four-year deal and, you know, Minnesota, maybe they want to go longer term with him. I, I'm assuming they want to have some guys locked up long-term at some point. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. We don't see club arbitration very often uh, in the NHL. And then Travis Sanheim, I just, that, that one to me seems probably more likely to come to a, to a conclusion prior to. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Sanheim moving forward is probably going to be a pretty big part of, of what the Flyers do. He had a 35 point season two years ago, uh, pre pandemic. He was on a, essentially what a, resulted in a five-year entry level deal with the two year slide that he had. And then the last two years he played at 3.25 and he's a guy that has been chewing some big minutes for the flyers, but I think they're looking at it. He played almost 22 minutes a night last year, but with the additions that they've made on their back end, um, you know, how drastically that core has shaped, uh, reshaped itself with Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen. Then you add in Keith Yandel, who's going to be their power play specialist. Sanheim may not be seeing the same number of minutes moving forward. And, you know, coming in at 3.25 last year, uh, probably do a sizable raise given the minutes that he played. It, maybe they want to keep that in check a little bit. Now, before we get to uh, Martin, uh, of course, the story that came out, the NHL actually sent out a release uh, in regards to Evander Kane and, and some allegations from his uh, his ex-wife, estranged wife, that uh, he had bet on San Jose Shark games, which obviously would would be a massive red flag to it. Uh, you know, Kane came out uh, pretty quickly to say, "No, I've never bet on it." And um, I watch a lot of Sharks game. I'll say this: Evander Kane was the Sharks' best forward last year. It really wasn't close. Now, the previous few years he, he struggled, but the last year he he was their best forward. Um, what do you make of these allegations, Frank? Um, obviously it's super serious, but it, it, it's one that right now is a clear, he said, she said. Right. And, and look, you, you said super serious. That's, you know, it's obvious how significant the NHL viewed it given that I think his estranged wife's Instagram post was merely a few hours, three, four hours old before the NHL was issuing a statement saying that they were launching an investigation uh, and the integrity of the game is, you know, is paramount. Of course, I think why it's significant is, is that, you know, this isn't just, and look, anytime you have an estranged wife or partner or anyone make any sort of serious allegation, you have to take it seriously. And I think the NHL does. Um, but this is a player that has a significant gambling history. Uh, there's been the story that was, uh, was out a few years back about the marker that he didn't repay to a Las Vegas casino, um, you know, with threats of an arrest the next time he were to land in Las Vegas to play a game. Um, there, you know, has since been the bankruptcy that's been filed and the massive amount of money that Evander Kane owes to creditors. Um, you know, those are all big parts of this. And so it's not like you can just take what the, the allegation is with a grain of salt. I think you have to take a, a step back and look into everything that's going on with regards to Evander Kane and gambling. And, and obviously the NHL is taking that seriously. And, and they did say on Monday that uh, they hope to have some sort of investigation wrapped up before training camp opens in late September. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on. I will just say, you know, one thing that I was a little disappointed in, and this is more of my opinion, is the fact that the NHL did respond so quickly to these allegations regarding integrity of the game. And yet it was weeks that went by 
uh, with the league still doing nothing, allowing the Chicago Blackhawks after those allegations surfaced with both a sexual assault and yeah. the inappropriate handling of, uh, of a recommendation to a, a former Blackhawks employee that went weeks before then the league allowed a team to launch in an, in an independent investigation on their own. So, um, you know, disappointed to see, you know, the league react differently in two different circumstances. Uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, that's totally valid. And, uh, you know, I uh, saw the, the story that came out recently that now they're saying these findings are going to become public. So uh, we will, uh, we will see what uncovers, but that's, can I, definitely- can I, can I add something in on that? you know, with now the results of the report becoming public, I've seen a lot of people clamoring for that. And I don't know if you talk to some experts that have handled a lot of these cases, I don't know that that's necessarily the best course of action. It's like people have been saying that like as if someone will have something to hide. But I think the thing is sometimes when you have an investigation report that people know will ultimately become public, they end up holding back and they don't say the full truth. Uh, because they know that whatever they say is on the record or will become public at some point. And so sometimes that ends up being more damaging to an investigation rather than helpful. Yeah. Well, some of the people involved in the investigation wouldn't help out unless they said it was public. So who knows? Maybe they, maybe that's why, you know, by the sounds of it from Brent Sopel and a few other people that were uh, encouraged to say, I'm not going to help unless you guys promise this will be public. So, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe there'll be some people on the other side because they feel like this is a story that has to get out there. So people will, uh, will find out the truth. And I think ultimately that's the truth is always the best. Sometimes the truth is not what we want to hear. But the truth ultimately is going to be the best. And, uh, you know, in both these situations, which are, are very different in how they impact individuals, uh, hopefully they, they come out and, and uncover the uh, the truth in both cases. So, By the uh, way, we'll- we, we didn't, speaking of the Blackhawks, we didn't really get a chance to dive into the Marc-Andre Fleury transaction. Um, you know, there was so much going on last week with free agency and everything else. Obviously, by now, we know that Marc-Andre Fleury has visited Chicago. He's told the team that he intends on playing next season. Still a little bit shocked about how this was handled from a Vegas perspective and really disappointed to see that Ryan Reeves was given seemingly more courtesy with regards to his transaction than was allowed to mark Andre Fleury. Yeah. And, uh, it's a very, it's, you know, it's a legit question, Frank. And it's, you know, that you've heard some rumblings at times in, you know, in Vegas that certain things have gone down, uh, not necessarily the best way for people and, you know, so uh, you, you would think that Mark Andre Fleury, if you know what, uh, you should give people the same respect for both. And I know Vegas said, well, you know, it got leaked out before. Well, you know what, uh, you can on. always you can find ways to not leak it out if you want to ensure that it doesn't get leaked out. You don't tell anyone else until you tell the player first. Then well, it's and if it's coming out. from you, how exactly is it is it being leaked out? I mean, um, look. I, I get what the team has said. I, I've, I watched Kelly McCurman's press conference saying that he had multiple conversations with Mark Andre Fleury and his group uh, leading up to the transaction, that there was a conversation in mid-July in which Chicago was mentioned. My reporting suggests that consistently what the Fleury camp was told was that, um, you know, they weren't sure what they were doing with their goaltending, that they were attempting to trade either Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard, that they hadn't made a decision, that Chicago was one of the options on the table. But then to get to that point where the trigger is pulled on a transaction and it does come out, how do you, you know, how do you not take it upon yourself as an organization to get to the player first? Hey, we're about to say yes 
to a deal with Chicago. Wanted to let you know ahead of time in case something leaks out. This is the face of the franchise, uh, an icon in that city, someone who did more for that community than arguably anybody else on that team in their franchise history. And, and to think that with all that he's accomplished, the Vezina Trophy, that that's the way that he's treated on the way out, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. And I know it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Well said. Let's get to our guest this week, Jordan Martinuk. And our guest today on the DFO Rundown, delivered by DoorDash, of course, a proud par partner and sponsor of the uh, Nation Network and the Daily Faceoff Rundown. Of course, uh, restaurants and more delivered right to your door. If you've never tried it, you should. I highly recommend getting uh, Popeye's Louisiana Chicken through the uh, DoorDash app. You can get Mickey D's if you like. And of course, use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. That will give you 25% off and free delivery. Pretty cool, RUNDOWNDD. Today, we are joined by gentleman who was uh, drafted 58th overall in 2012 by the uh, Phoenix Coyotes, soon now the uh, Arizona Coyotes, played with the Coyotes, and uh, recently just signed another contract, a three-year extension a few weeks ago to stay with the Carolina Hurricanes. Jordan Martinuk joins us. Uh, Jordan, how are you doing, man? How's your summer? Uh, it's good. It's busy, but it's uh, it's going good. <laughs> well, uh, uh, not only do you have a three-year contract, you have two kids under three. So uh, you're earning that contract uh, this summer. That might be harder work than uh, trying to have to check against some of the team's top players. Yes, I would 100% agree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so you you kind of tested free agency in the fact that, you know, you didn't officially sign until uh, on, uh, I guess, July 28th. Um, I, I spoke to your agent prior and, you know, he said there was some teams that were calling. How, how close were you to possibly leaving Carolina and ultimately uh, what led you to want to stay a hurricane? Um, yeah, it was, I, I guess it was kind of getting, getting down to the wire. Um, it was just normal negotiations. Um, I wish maybe it could have taken place a little earlier, but it got down to the wire and I was, I, I think my, my whole family was prepared for me to be leaving. And then obviously it came together really fast. I, um, as I, my exit meeting with Rod, um, our coach, he just said, like, just being constant communication with me throughout the whole process. And, um, I called them, I guess the morning after my agent had talked to them and, or on the 28th. And I was like, Hey, what's like, we got, we got to figure something out here. If you, if I'm going to stay. And then he's like, give me a little bit. And yeah, it just, uh, he helped. And, um, yeah, it, it was just, normal negotiations and glad I got something done and glad I get to stay a hurricane for the next three years. Well, that's obviously great knowing that the coach was that heavily involved because, you know, the GM can say a lot of the things, Jordan stuff, but ultimately, you know, the coach is the guy who you work with closely on, on a night to night and shift to ship basis. Talk about your relationship with Rod Brindamore and why you like playing for him. Um, just cause he's, he's just no BS. It's just what you, you know, exactly what he wants out of you. He's, he's got that, he's got that level of respect just because he's played and played well for so long and he knows the game and, um, and he's, and he's a good communicator. He's a good motivator. Like I, he's, I can't say enough good things about Roddy and my relationship with him is awesome. He, we don't sugarcoat anything to him or me. It's uh, it's just uh, 
it's a good working relationship and I, I can still joke around with him and have fun. So it's, uh, he's, he's a great coach and, um, obviously he got some recognition for it this year. Jordan, how important was it for you to get some security? I know looking at your last few deals, you were on a series of two-year deals. You get a three-year deal this time. Just having gone through this a few times to not have to go through it again for a while. Yeah, it's especially when you get to, get to having kids and my son could, he in the States, he could go to school next year. I don't think he will, but you're getting to the age where kids are going to school. You want... I don't want to be renting every year, packing up. It's, it's not, it's not, it, obviously we live a great life and playing in the NHL is something that I'll never, ever take for granted, but there's, there's times that uh, it's a lot for, for my wife and I just loading up, packing up. I feel like we're, we never really settle in a place. So um, to be there for the next three years, hopefully um, I, it, it'll be nice to put some roots down and actually be able to have a home, I guess is, is hope is the biggest thing for us. You mentioned not taking a day in the NHL for granted. When do you think was the moment for you that it kind of hit you that you were there and, and kind of a full-time guy and not really going anywhere? Um, I would say <laughs> I, my whole first year I was nervous about getting sent down and not, and, uh, and not sticking, I guess. So I was, I, I, I still kind of feel like I always have to prove myself. And I think that's a good thing just because it keeps you, keeps you going and keeps you trying to get better. And, um, I guess when you, when you're a bottom six guy, it's, you gotta, you gotta do more to show that you can, you can stay rather than the top six guys. But, um, yeah, I've, I've kind of always had that chip on my shoulder a little bit throughout my career and growing up. So it's, uh, it's nothing new and just something that I kind of, like to have and keeps me keeps me going you mentioned that chip on your career jordan you you know there's so many unique paths to get to the national hockey league and i like looking at different ones and you know your draft year your first year of eligibility you were playing in drayton in the in the alberta junior hockey league and so i I don't know if you were thinking about being drafted then then you went to the whl you didn't get drafted after your first year in the dub then your second year in the dub basically your 19 year old season you got drafted in the second round um, kind of take me through that process. Were, were you thinking NHL when you were, you know, you're 17 at your draft first year draft eligible playing in the AJHL, or were you more so thinking uh, potentially NCAA at that point? Yeah. When I was 17, it was the, the NHL wasn't even on the radar. It was just, hopefully I can play well. And I, I, I had some schools interested after my 17 year old season. So that was kind of the route I was going to go, but then Vancouver came calling and wanted me to go to the dub and that was kind of always I always wanted to play in the WHL and then obviously with the school package you can get through there I was like okay I'll get my I'll go play two three years and hopefully get four years of four years of school because I as a 20 I was going to get two and then I would play CIS and go on with my life and then um yeah obviously I still wanted to play hockey that was uh, but I was just thinking as a realist I wasn't hadn't really proved anything up until that point so my 19 year old year obviously I had a, a tremendous year and I uh, was lucky enough to get drafted and then uh, then went on that way but yeah it was uh, as sev- as a 17 year old my official draft year the the NHL wasn't even on the radar it was it was just trying to play play good hockey in the American Junior Hockey or Alberta Junior Hockey League and hopefully get a scholarship but yeah, it, it was a, it's a cool path. And I, 
I feel like um, there's a lot of guys that have some unique, unique stories. So it's, it's, it's cool to have something like that. Well, I, I like to, to highlight that because there's so many kids sometimes that just, you know, they mentally check out at 17 because, you know, they're not in the WHL or they're not highly scouted to go to an NCAA program. And, and hockey's still a late developing sports for lots of guys. You know, Colton Pareko is another great example. And there's tons, you know, Marty St. Louis, guys who've never been drafted who, who go on to have great careers. And, you know, there's lots of them. So for you, that, that year when you got drafted, Jordan, and you got drafted in the second round without putting up like point per game or, or point and a half per game numbers, like, you're basically the role you play now was the role you played in junior. And that also in itself is, is a little bit uh, different. It It's a role that some guys struggle with adapting when they go to the NHL, if they've been a, you know, a, a high score all of a sudden, is there an advantage at all? Because you've kind of, you've always had to play that role where, you know, obviously you got to chip in offensively, but you got to be really good defensively. W- where did that mindset come? Were you always a guy who took pride in the defensive zone or was there a coach who kind of helped you recognize that that's an area you were very good at? Um, I think both, both coaches I had in junior were a big, I think when you're playing Bantam and midget, you're, you're always trying to score goals and you don't really defense is kind of the last thing you're thinking about. But obviously when you get to juniors and stuff, there's, there's a lot more emphasis on it. So I had Fran Gow when I was in Drayton Valley and he was, he's an, he was an excellent coach. He was very demanding. And then obviously Don Hay when I was in Vancouver. So, um, I, I'll, I remember one, one meeting I had with Don Hay, it was my first year. And he said, um, I, I don't know, I might've had like 14 points at the time or something. And he's just, he basically said he, he was the one that said, okay, if you want to make it to the next level, you're not, you're not going to be scoring 20, 30 goals at the next level. You, he, he basically like broke it down for me. And at the time I was probably pissed off that he said that, but looking at, looking back at it now, it's probably the thing I needed to hear. So I, I try to get better at those skills and develop that way through, through juniors. And um, yeah, so I was lucky enough to have coaches that kind of put into perspective for me. And sometimes when you're, when you're a more skilled guy in the Western league and there, you, there can't be every guy can't be a top six forward in the NHL. So you have to, you have to find your role and find your niche. And lucky, luckily enough, I had coaches that kind of hammered that in my head early on. Jordan, there's been a lot of change with the hurricanes over the last few weeks. Uh, Morgan geeky going to Seattle, Jake Bean going to Columbus, a couple guys leaving in free agency. I know Brock McGinn is a big loss for your team. Uh, you know, how different do things feel? Your goalies, a wholesale change in net. Um, you know, you guys were a team that's been on the rise the last couple of years. You cement yourselves, uh, obviously a disappointing finish in the playoffs. Uh, you know, wh- what's the feel around this team at the moment? Um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of changes, but I, I, I like the moves that we've made. So it's um, obviously you wish that we could have got it done with the guys we had, because I, I loved every guy that was on our team, but, um, I, I think hockey's a, uh, well, especially when you get to the NHL, it's, a it's driven by your success. And obviously we haven't got it done here in the last couple of years. So, um, I guess that's when you need to make changes. So I, I lost, I lost a lot of friends and it's sad to see a lot of those guys go, but, um, that's the business side of hockey. If you don't win, they make changes. And, 
um, yeah, once, once you get back and see everybody, I, on paper, I like the changes, so we'll see how everybody gels together and, um, hopefully we can keep this thing going and try and break through more of a lighthearted question, but I've always wondered this as, as a reporter covering hockey, how quickly does the group chat change? Like, you know, every team's got their sort of official group chat. How soon does like a guy traded or signed get booted from the chat? And then a new guy, how does he slide into the chat? I, f- I feel like you always start your group chat at the beginning of the year. Just it, it's just once everybody gets back, you get it started. But um, I, this was this was a funny year just because, as you said, Geeky got picked up from Seattle and um, Geeks in the group chat. He said his like a little thing, said his goodbyes and then left right away. Like he didn't even have that. He didn't even give the guys an opportunity to say like bye to him or anything. So I, I would texted him after I was like, that, I, I loved it just because it was hilarious that he just left and didn't even give anybody a chance to like say anything to him. He was just gone. So I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, I, I think most guys that assign somewhere else or get traded, they, they say like your everybody says your thanks and great, great playing with everybody type thing. And then, then move on. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a weird dynamic. It's just like ripping a bandaid off sometimes, but is what it is. You, you, it's the business. You got to move on. Add some more guys to the group chat. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, but before we had you on, I did a little research on you and a lot of your teammates and people around say that, you know, to, to use a real cliche term, glue guy, uh, really good in the room, uh, lighthearted, uh, knows how to communicate, likes to have a lot of fun. Now, many people have seen the Hurricanes, and I'll give Carolina credit. The, the Carolina Hurricanes Twitter might be the best one in the National Hockey League. It's outstanding. They, they give their fans a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes. Um, you and Svechnikov seem to have a pretty unique rapport and relationship. Um, tell me about, like, you get really amped up in those pregame things. Um, where, where did that come from? When did you start with the, uh, you know, like the real excited uh, pregame uh, rituals that you do with some of your teammates and specifically with Svechnikov? Um, that just started his, his first year, his first game. Like he was 18 years old and um, he was, you could tell he was nervous and I was, ner- I was nervous that year too. It was my first game with them. So um, I just, I seen him and I, I knew everybody was talking about him because he was a second overall pick and that, and that he made our team and I, he was, I was playing on a line with them. So, um, I was like, okay, we need to, I need to loosen him up a little bit. So I did something totally different the first year and, um, he seemed to like it and it, it got him smiling before the game and kept him loose. So that's, that's kind of where it all started. And then obviously it's, progressed into what it is today and i don't know what it'll be next year if if it's anything he might he might go deaf after year four if i keep doing it but um yeah it it was just all the whole thing was just about trying to keep keep him loose and keep him having fun and um yeah then it obviously is cooking off from there (laughs) well and you know, certain guys just have that understanding and, you know, you, you know, the pressure of being a top pick, I think is tough for, for any player. You mentioned you were nervous cause you're on a new team, but you know, you kind of said, well, I'll put aside my nerves to help out the young guy. And you seem to do that with a lot of others. Uh, you know, some guys lead that, you know, they have letters on their jerseys. Others can lead without it. Um, how much more comfortable do you feel 
in that role now. And, and can you talk about the importance of that, that maybe, you know, no goals or assists or analytics can ever really put a value on the importance of having a cohesive dressing room? Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, it's huge just because I, when I first got to Carolina, the team was really quiet. Um, we didn't have a lot of guys that really, or when I was there, there was not a whole bunch of guys that would say much around the dressing room. And um, I feel like it took me a while too, to just kind of feel everybody out. And um, once it was probably about two, three months into the season, everybody kind of got comfortable with each other. It was a lot of changes that year too. And um, once everybody was comfortable, it just kind of flowed naturally. And, um, and it's kind of taken off from there and everybody kind of, I've never been on a team or in an organization that feels like such like a family and everybody gets along so well. So um, it's, it's something that I feel like I've had put my hand into to be able to help get it to that place. And obviously um, we take, we take a lot of pride, the people that have been there for three years or longer the, to keep it a keep it a good dressing room and keep everybody involved and everybody happy. So um, once everybody's comfortable in the room, I feel like it loosens you up and you can go out and play better on, on the ice. So I feel like that's that's been a big, big part of our success. Jordan, who else has had a big hand in that? I mean, you use the word family and it just seems like when Rod Brindamore uses the term, like you've seen the videos, um, you know, just you know, calling and wishing his dad a happy birthday and you guys all singing, like it actually feels and looks like family. Is he one of the primary drivers of that feel? Yeah, he is. He's the leader of leader of it all. And then obviously we had Justin Williams. He was a big part of it. He he's been on cup winning teams. He's done kind of pretty much done it all in hockey. So Willie was, Willie was huge. Um, Jordo is he's like the big silent leader he but when he need when something needs to be said he he does it so uh, I feel like me and Jordo kind of have a good relationship because I'm the one that screams and yells and then he goes out and just does it and every night every every night he's doing the same thing and he's doing it unbelievable so um, it's nice to be able to kind of bounce off each other and Slavo is kind of the same way. So our, the three of us have really found like a good, good groove on what each other brings. And it's uh, it's been good that way. And then obviously uh, like we have guys that are coming up that are embracing being leaders too. So, but it uh, obviously it starts with Roddy and I feel like just him being around has helped a lot of people mature too. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's been, been a perfect fit for me. And I feel like I've, I've helped the team a lot as well. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, kind of being the new guy and, and, you know, sort of waiting for people to assimilate you, how, you know, when you're adding six to eight new voices to the team for next season, especially one that's had some success and has that sort of that base of, of, you know, being a family, how do you assimilate new voices into that? What do you think is the key to doing that? I just, I feel like you just want to make sure everybody feels welcomed initially. Um, I, uh, I, fi- I, even just when, the, when everybody signs or whatever, just to send them a text and just say like, Hey, happy to have you. Like I've loved, I love the way you play tight. Like everybody knows everybody in the league. So it's, you know what you're getting. And um, it, I feel like I always ask if they need help with, if they have kids, if they need help finding something or if they need help finding a place to live, it's just little things like that or just go a long way. And I feel like, once you've been in the position where you want somebody to just kind of reach out and help you, it's, 
and you have guys doing that, it's, it, it just makes you want to be a part of it initially. And then obviously when you get to training camp, you, you go for lunches, you do go for a beer here and there. It's, it's just little things like that. Just get to know each other. And then I feel like you fully can't trust somebody until you get to know them and get to get to know what they're all about. And I, I feel like we do a pretty good job of having lunches and going for dinners. And that's where you build that trust and build that, build that chemi or chemistry, I guess, to, to do what we do. And that's where the family thing comes in. I have to think this past season though, would have easily been the most challenging in that regard because you were kind of limited in, in some of the social gatherings that you were supposed to do. And I, you know, I talked to Carter Hart and some other players and guys who lived alone, like it was really tough. How was it for you this past season? Who's a really outgoing guy who loves to bring everybody together. How much of a challenge was that? Yeah, it was, it was definitely hard just especially early on when there was a, a lot more restrictions. Um, but I feel like we found ways we'd be, be playing switch or Nintendo switch guys bought those or um, yeah. We're, it, I feel like you, appre you appreciated your time at the rink a lot more. You'd sit, you'd be, or you'd stay a little longer. You'd come a little earlier and you'd all, and you'd just talk. And um, I feel like guys with families, a little easier just because to go home to um and yeah as as the season one and the restrictions got lifted a little bit then it it became easier to kind of to kind of keep that camaraderie but uh, the good thing about our team from um i guess the bubble to last year is we didn't have a whole bunch of change so everybody kind of knew each other it wasn't we didn't have a whole, we didn't have a ton of guys to kind of bring in so it was that was that was a big key i guess to having our our success um, I want to get to a few other things. Of course, you know, the hurricanes from the surge, of course, uh, you, you had one of the more memorable games in NHL history when, you know, the, the Zamboni driver game that we want to call it. Like, you, you know, it's funny how Carolina and, and I grew, I was a huge Hartford Whaler fan. So when Hartford moved to Carolina, I was pretty pissed to be honest, because the, uh, the green Jersey was gone. Let but, it go. Like I've, I've followed Carolina a lot and it just, it wasn't necessarily a hockey market when it first came there, obviously, but it, and, you know, you might not rival a Canadian city, but Carolina has become like a, like the fans there are extremely passionate, the Caniacs and the organization I think has done a really good job of making the team feel part of it. How do you feel as a player kind of maybe the evolution? And I know you came from Arizona, which, you know, you, even then, I think I look at Carolina, Arizona, I think Carolina is a significantly better hockey market. How, how do you see it coming as a Canadian guy, right? To who, who grew up just outside of Edmonton, you know, in, in a hockey mad market, kind of the, the evolution of hockey in, in Carolina for people who have never been there, what would surprise them the most to go watch a hockey game in Carolina? Um, well, from, I would say the start of the season till, I guess it happens all year, but mainly start of the season till early December, middle to December, and then March to the end of the season and playoffs tailgating. Um, I, I, everybody in Canada knows like tailgating for football and stuff, but um, they tailgate for our hockey games and it's nuts. Oh. Like for playoffs, you see videos and they open, we'll play at eight o'clock and they open the parking lots at 1230 and they're packed by three o'clock. Oh. So it's, and my dad has been my dad 
goes around and he's in part of everybody's tailgates and the people are so friend like the North Carolina people make Canadians look mean and everybody talks about how Canadians are the nicest people around and that's that's North Carolina people are above and beyond nice it's almost they feel too nice sometimes but <laughs> it is what that's how they are and so my dad would go around from tailgate to tailgate and then they he'd tell them who they were and then they'd want to party with them and yeah, it's, it's insane. And then when they get in the building, everybody's kind of tuned up from drinking outside for six hours and then it, they blow the roof off the place. So I feel like tailgating is probably the coolest thing about North Carolina hockey. And, uh, and since we've been good the last three years, our, we've been, before I got there, they weren't selling out. There was, they were I, from the guys that have been there, they said that the fans weren't that great, but now that we're good, they're back and they're, they're back in a big way. Cause they're every night. It's, it's crazy in there. Jay, that's all I got. You want to play a little rapid fire with Jordan? Yeah, we, so J- Jordan, we like to end things uh, rapid fire. The only rule is you have to answer the question. We try to have a, a little bit of fun with uh, lots of different ones. So uh, I'll start here. You, you had mentioned uh, you guys played uh, NHL switch. Uh, who was the best? <sighs> Uh, I think probably geeky geeky was a, he's a gamer. He was a good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who has come up consistently with the most good ideas for the surge? I, I feel like I got to put my name in there, but Ju- Justin Williams and me probably were the big ones. I get, we didn't really, we didn't do much this year, but the first two years it was me and Willie, I would say. Okay. Do you, will, will rookies or newcomers to the team have to come up with a surge idea next season? That hasn't been a thing. So I, I, no, I don't think so. Okay. You're a very jovial guy. You like to yell. Are you a chirper on the ice? If so, who do you like to chirp? Uh, I'm not very good. So uh, I feel like I can yell good, but I can't talk very fast and you have to talk fast to be a good (laughs) chirper. So, um, I I'll I chirp my buddies a little bit when I'm playing against them, but if I'm really mad, I'll say something. But that's I'm not very good at it, so I usually keep my mouth shut. Who's the best chirper on the Hurricanes? <sighs> Who's oh man? I feel like Aho when he gets really mad can get going pretty good, but sometimes it's in Finnish, so you don't really understand what he says. Um, yeah, maybe Brett Pesci. I'll say Brett Pesci. <laughs> okay. Is there anyone that you really like playing against? And if so, why? Um, I, I'll say like probably Crosby or Ovi, just because when I was a kid, those two were the, they were the up and comers and the, the studs and they still are unbelievable players. So whenever I play against them, it's still, still cool. That's a subtle chirp calling them old. I like that. Very subtle. Just slide <laughs> that in there. That's perfect. Um, well, I'm Jordan, an old guy now. <laughs> when Jordan Martinuk is uh, having a night out, what's your cocktail of choice? Um, early, probably beer early in the summer and towards the end is vodka waters with lemon or lime. <laughs> Smart. Keep, keep and, the LBs down. <laughs> okay. And if, if Frank and I are coming to your house for dinner tonight, what is, what is your go-to meal? What would you make that would knock our socks off? 
Well, I probably wouldn't cook it. I I'm guessing my wife would cook it. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen this new, it's this TikTok pasta that we, have you guys seen this thing? No, no, I'm not on TikTok. Yeah. Get Google TikTok pasta after, and then we throw a little ground sausage in there and you can make, you can, it's so easy to make. It's just tomatoes, feta. Um, you put it all in one pan and olive oil, it melts. And it's like the sauce for the pasta. It's really good. So that's kind of our big, that's our, we're on that right now. So we'd probably be having TikTok pasta and a couple glasses of wine. Okay. I'm in. I like it. Awesome. Well, yeah. Jordan, Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the, on the DFO rundown in the off season. Uh, we really appreciate it. I got, I got to ask you one last one. Cause I had some of your buddies text me. I know you guys went on a big golf trip recently. Um, what was the score? They wanted me to ask you, what was your best score on the boys golf trip weekend? 81 tied my career best <laughs> 81 82 94 and 86 oh there you go it's i quite, love it's it quite a spread oh there yeah. you go i like uh Keep the handicap I, up i i do love it that um you still got your local group of guys uh, when you get back to Alberta and you guys go golf together. Uh, it's an awesome thing. So uh, keep that up, Jordan, and uh, continued success. Yeah. And uh, hopefully uh, you get a little bit of rest here with the two youngins running around the house. Uh, there's no rest, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Have a great summer. Yeah. Yeah. You too, guys. Jordan Martinuk from the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, unique path. There's a guy who got passed over his first two drafts. Then he went in the second round, uh, went right to the American League for two years, then to the NHL, was in uh, Arizona for three seasons. Now he's been in Carolina for three, of course, signed a new three-year contract. And Frank, there's I, I've talked to a lot of players over the years. Of, I don't know if I've met a, a guy whose teammates rave about his ability to really bring a room together. And you listen to him while, when he went there, guys didn't even talk to him before he got to that team. And they really had to change the culture in Carolina. And you talk about the head coach, but you've got some players that really bought into it. And it's really changed. I think why they're good on and off the ice. I generally hate the word culture. It's such a big hockey buzzword, but I think it really applies in this case. Um, you know, they've got their work cut out for them though. Jordan Martinook is going to be such a big part of whether or not that team has success next season. I felt like an idiot go, recapping their summer and, and some of the guys that have been in and out of that group. And I, I failed to mention Dougie Hamilton gone. Like I just kind of assumed since the season ended that it would always be trending that way, that that's why he slipped my mind. But I mean, like I said, six to eight new faces on a Carolina team that's been really good the last number of years. They've got to assimilate pretty quickly and, and get back to where they were. Yeah, they still got a lot of skill, man. They have such a deep forward group on on that team. And, you know, like Brett Pesci and Jacob Slavin, I think are two of the most underrated defensemen in the entire National Hockey League. And, um, you know, it is curious to see, you know, you bring in new goaltenders across the board. That's something that just doesn't happen very often. So you're right. It might be maybe a, a little bit of a slow start for Carolina as they try to get used to one another. But, you know, that's a team with Rod Brindamore. They just, they find ways to get better. And I think they'd be knocking on the door for a while. And maybe that's why we saw some of the changes. They felt like they just needed to make some tweaks. Yeah. And they, they brought in some other character guys too. I mean, Ian Cole is another big one. Um, you know, guys in Minnesota talked about how they felt like their room changed once a guy like Ian Cole came in, uh, you know, they're going to have to replace Dougie Hamilton by committee and, and like, who's kidding who so much of what the Carolina hurricanes are going to experience this year is going to depend on their goaltending you know, wholesale changes, Freddie Anderson, anti Ranta, Alex and out. 
Um, Peter Morazic out. Uh, James Reimer out. They've got um, a totally new look to their team, and and I kind of like the idea of spicing it up a little bit. As much success as that team enjoyed, you we you heard Don Waddell on our pod a couple months back. Um, you know, for them, they'll they'll move sort of anyone that's on their team if the price is right and if they get a player back that they can feel will make their team better. And so, on the one hand, it's kind of a a tough team to be on in that sense, a team that is so open to change. But on the other hand, it's sort of refreshing to think that, um, you know, if they're not finding success, that they're going to go out and find the pieces that they think will help their team have it. Well, we look forward to it. Uh, Frank, we'll have a, a GM coming up uh, later this week on the pod. Until then, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. 
For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.